Welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for being here, Adam. Yeah, dude. Appreciate you having me, man. It's been a it's been a long time coming. I know, dude. This is awesome, man. It's a sick setup, dude. Thanks. Thanks I like brother. it. I'm gl- I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I'm glad our schedules finally aligned because you're a pretty busy dude these days. Can be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Have you always been like on the go, pretty busy? Mm, I always try to keep my days as full as possible. Yeah, for yeah. the most part. But I would say recently, um, in the last like year or two, I've definitely like picked up just like more activity and um, yeah, just more goals and trying right. to be a little bit more ambitious in life. So yeah, yeah, kind of looking more forwards and like thinking ahead. Yeah, type thing. Or? Yeah, type of yeah. You know, try not to go too far into the future and just you know plan for the future but yeah definitely for sure yeah yeah forward's good yeah because because you've had a real redirect in the past like 10 5 10 years right oh for sure like definitely like how old are you i am 34 okay yeah 34 years old and because back when like when did you start kayaking i started kayaking when i was 23 right yeah 23 years old yep and that was like it sounds like you were hitting it pretty hard kayaking yeah like definitely going, going super often definitely yeah i'm an obsessed individual um particularly when it comes to physical activity i'm very obsessed um which is actually something right now in my life which i'm trying to like I'm trying to like work on what i'm obsessed with and how much i become obsessed with and uh, trying to use that as more of a tool. So like back in the day, like kayaking, for instance, it's a physical activity, it's a hobby, it was a passion. Um, yeah, it just became like my think all, my do all. Like if I wasn't doing that, I wasn't happy doing other things type of a thing. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of where, yeah, nowadays it's like I'm trying to be, I'm trying to take that obsession that thing with being obsessed and see what else I can be in life with that Mm. or use that as a tool almost, if that makes sense. How do you use it as a tool? I mean, I, I feel like when you become obsessed about things, you can really get to know things. But if you're narrowly focused on just one thing, then that's going to be the one thing that, you're obsessed with that you experience that you want to experience but for me i found oh well i'm obsessed with physical activity i'm obsessed with things i like and now it's just now i'm doing more things and getting better at like instead of being a master at one thing i think i'd rather be a jack of all trades right if that makes sense right like be good across the board rather than like oh, hey, I'm only good at kayaking or, sure, you know, and I'm then I'm not good at relationships or I'm not good at, you know, holding a job or things like that. I'm, I'm only good at this one physical activity because that's where I put all of my energy. And now I'm trying to be very conscious of my energy and use that part of me as a tool. Like right now, I'm tr- like when I when I try to learn something, I find something that really interests me and if i become obsessed with it i'm gonna learn it quick i'm gonna pick it up quick i'm gonna absorb the information and yeah so for me it used to be something where it was detrimental to my relationships it was you know if you didn't fit in the program then you're not in my program type of a thing 
Right. So where do you, do you have any idea where that obsession or that kind of approach to where you're like, is it, you're trying to prove something to yourself or, you know, that's a good question, <laughs> but I do know that I've been like that my entire life, like my entire <laughs> life. That's how I've been since I was a young kid. Like yeah. I've been, I was never the kid in school that could sit in the chair. I like, I never absorbed things reading or things like that. I was always very physical with things. And it's like, you know, when I was younger, I used to be obsessed with, you know, first it was like baseball and wrestling. And then I got into BMX and BMX was like a big thing in my life for so many years. And it was like, I was so obsessed with that. It was like every waking moment. That is all I thought about. Even when I was in high school, that was like all I thought about all day, every day. And it's a great way to live, but it's also like at a certain point in time, you start to realize like there's so much other things happening around you and it would take, a, I don't, it would take away from those things in a sense, you know, I'm grateful that I am that way and I was that way, but it's just like sharpening it and, you know, how can I get the most out of life? I guess right. I could say. What's the B, what was BMX like? What was the like... What was the BMX kind of community or just the experience like for you? For me, man, that's a good question. For me, I don't know. I found the BMX community to be so how it started for me was I was always like into sports. I was always into physical activity, but team sports kind of bothered me a little bit. I always felt like I was being told what to do. I always felt like creativity was set aside in order for like, you know, to follow a strict set of rules. And then when I was like in fifth or sixth grade, like literally my neighborhood backed up to like a, like a park. I don't know, like a city park, you know, with like hills and grass. And there was like a little lake there and people would swim there. Well, they decided to build a skate park there. So I started skateboarding. And then one day, like I traded my skateboard for this kid who had his bike. And I don't know, it was just <laughs> like, once I did that, I asked for a bike. My parents like kind of ignored it for a while. And then finally on my birthday, they got me a bike and it was just like, they could you couldn't get me to do anything else like i literally quit every other sport that i did i was like into wrestling i was into baseball i was like a part of all these teams and literally just stopped on a dime <laughs> and i think it's because i found a way to like really express myself like there was like uh there's like a huge form of like self expression but there was also like a huge form of freedom like being able to just like get on my bike and like ride away from my house. And like, I, I grew up well, I grew up, you know, if you compared my situation to others, you know, I probably had it better than others. And then there's a lot of people who had it better than me. But you know, my house had like turmoil in it. My parents like divorced and my dad left when we were 10 and kind of left, just left us. And you know, there was a lot of that pain in the house. And I think for me, that was a way that I dealt with that for like my child in my teen years was like, I got away from that kind of stuff. I got away from, I got away from a lot too. Like, like my bike, like literally took me so many places when I was like 14 or 15. Like I got to see a lot of the country because of it. I got to like travel because of it. You know, it became like, I got introduced to like art through that way. Like 
I met so many people in that world. It was just like full of like a creative, it was like a creative world. Like the community was super creative. Like, you know, a lot of my friends like were really into drawing, were really into art, were really into reading, but reading books that they liked. Like I was always introduced to like reading as like, this is the program, this is what we're doing, read this book, whether you like it or not, and then you right. need to tell me about it and all this stuff. And I was just like, dude, I can't even read, I can't even remember what I just read on this page. Like, that's how my brain works. Like, sure. I read a book and I don't even remember what I read half the time. So I was introduced to just all this different stuff. And like half of my friends were way older than me, probably five or six years older than me. Some of them were in their 20s. You know, we like traveled around. I got introduced to like the video editing world and making videos. Like that was kind of our thing. I was a part of a group of people who we made BMX edits and things like that. Traveled around to make those edits. Then I kind of remember the world of DVDs being introduced. And I remember like being on my first DVD. That was like super awesome. It was just like, it was being opened up to like a whole different way of life like compared to where I grew up and like where I grew up was like a beautiful, awesome place, but there's only like one way of thinking, you know, whereas like, it felt like I got to experience a lot, like almost like when you travel to a different country and you see like, oh, these people are happy and they're living a totally different way of life. Right. You know, it's like, I kind of got to experience that. And I think it was a good experience for sure. Right. You know? And so were you like competing and, and not so much. Um, I am a competitive person, but I don't like that side of me. So I did compete in certain like, like contests, I guess you could say. And I remember, <laughs> I remember competing was very, uh, it was very unenjoyable for me. Right. Like I remember one time. I was at a competition. It was the first competition. I think I was like 16 and I entered into the pro circuit and there was this trick called the wall ride 540 and only like two people had done this trick before. And I remember I was like, I'm going to do this trick. And my contest run, I did like a thing throughout the park, but then I remember I focused the rest of it on hitting this trick. And I did it. And I think I was like the first or second person to ever hit that in like a contest. And that's awesome for being like 16 years old. That should be great. Right. But then when they told me that I got last place, you know, because I fell a million times, I dedicated that run to that. <laughs> and I just remember being so mad. So like, you've got to be kidding me. And it made sense. Right. But like. The fact that I lost bothered me so much. The fact that, you know, and that that was a part of me where it was like, uh, okay, so I didn't com compete much, but I was really into like making videos. Like one of my friends was like a really good like videographer and editor, and we did a lot of that kind of stuff. So that was like really what I was into was like right. making videos. And it's kind of interesting to see like where instagrams come now and things like that because right yeah i felt like we were kind of on the cusp of that kind of stuff then except you had these like forums and chat rooms and you'd like post your videos in there and people would talk about them and like all that kind of stuff or like you'd come out with like a video or something like that that people could buy on dvd or something but yeah, right it was a really interesting time honestly I, I miss that time where you get super stoked to make an edit 
It's Dude. like, you know, two to four minutes long and yeah. like you put all this time into it and then you put it out there and it's like, it's like a release. Yeah. It's, it's like awesome. so much more like exciting and like than than today where you just put out like 30 second videos, which like it's, I mean, there's no other way to do it these days, but yeah. there's something romantic about, that, very about romantic. That, that other way. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's uh, yeah. I feel like timing's definitely everything and i feel like to experience what i experienced at that time was amazing and beautiful um i would never change it if i went back but i think i would if i could go back i would just appreciate it even more you know because it is it's like yeah it seems like when something big happens it only sticks around for like a day and then it's like what's the next thing right. you know we're just we're so on to the next thing nowadays that we like even when we're in the moment experiencing it it's right. like what's the next thing right yeah and it's yeah there's something about i don't know there was something about the pursuit of like i want to get these tricks i want to go to this spot i want to do this you know and you would think about it you would construct it and I don't know. It would be like, you know, if it was like the school year, I remember I would wait like Monday through Friday. I would like choose which classes to put my head down and sleep. But I'd really just be like thinking about like the trick, the move, everything I wanted to do. And then when Friday would roll around and me and my town, me and my friends would like, you know, get my one friend's car and drive to the spot and do all that. It would just be it's just this process. You right. know, it was an awesome process. And to be able to like create something, you know, it wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't put something out that day either. You know, you would save that footage. You would take that footage to latch it on and put it into like a bigger creation of all your other footage. And now it's like, we're down to like those single shots, those single things. And I don't know, there's something about when you have like a, like a video part and there's just so much like stuff that builds up into one thing rather than like a bunch of things creates one awesome piece versus, you know, one little thing that you just kind of put out there in a video now. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was cool. But, you know, give it its like and then move on type of a thing. It's yeah. Interesting. Like, like, do you do you try and like because because you put out a fair amount of content these days. How do you like, and granted it's like with breath work, as far as the stuff I see, which is a totally different, like, uh, industry, if you will, than like, than extreme sports for sure. Right. But like, even then I imagine breath, like it's still shorter time scale than it used to be in breath work or whatever. But I'm just curious, like if you try and like, like how how are you trying to address that? Are you trying to like make stuff like like are you planning out the content that you're gonna put out and like thinking about That's a good question like longer like like roadmap? Um, you know, most of the content that I do, I have like a I I I have a way where I have a set time where I get on Instagram mm. and I give myself like I give myself this time, like let's say I start at 1 p.m. I give myself to like 2, 2.30, and that's like my window to like check messages. That's my window to like look, but then it's also my window to create. Right. So sometimes ideas will come to me, and like I'm like, okay, I'll write that idea down. Right. Or if it's like a random day, I've got nothing going on. 
I'll work on making that content. But most of that content is geared towards it's it's geared towards that moment, whatever I see. But I already know, like my Instagram is like pretty specific. Like it's very like it's going to be about breath work or ice baths or something to do with your mindset. It's going to be about that. Right. So really, it's just. Yeah, what like clips like what sound clips can I link this footage with like what is this trying to get the message and I'm trying to get across type of a thing. So yeah, I mean, the Instagram thing is kind of interesting um, because my Instagram only shows like a certain part of me. I don't put everything out there of right. myself. I just put like it's it's solely dedicated to the breath work, the ice bath and the mindset and like what I believe in that, what I'm trying to get out with that. So everything's going to fall right in line with that. It's like, you know, when sure. I get on there and I create, it's all going to kind of like go with that, with that in mind. And it's just interesting because it seems like the shorter the clip, the more the people like it, you know, <laughs> it's so interesting. It's such an interesting, like you right. can't hold people's attention anymore. Almost. It's like, you can have the most magnificent, like, two minute thing and it's like that's way too long for people sure it's so wild right it's crazy and i really like that idea of setting a specific time that you get on and then a cutoff time and it's like even if you didn't finish you're done yeah like, you can't just hang out because it's it sucks you in it's addicting like it's very addicting i mean i'm not gonna sit here and say i'm perfect with that but that's something right. that i'm like striving and like specifically in this last like six months like it is wild. Like I can notice a change in my brain just being, just logging into like Instagram and social media. Right. It's so weird. Like it's so weird. Like especially, you know, I figured this out. I do a lot of meditation in the morning, and I used to have it where I'd get through my morning routine, and then I would make my stuff for the day on social media. But I noticed that literally after meditation i could feel the change in my brain just getting on instagram not looking at any messages not looking at any like not going through the feed not looking at any responses to any of the stuff i've made just getting on that app i could feel like a change in my brain waves and what would you notice what did it feel like i start to come back more into like the thought i think they call that high beta or low beta where you're, you're, and I could be wrong here. I'm, I'm actually just learning about this stuff right now, but it's where you're, where your mind's kind of in the thinking space and you're constantly just thinking. And sometimes that thinking goes into like judgment and like you start to like, well, you either start to think about your past or you start to think about your future. And it feels like my mind's starting to like drift out of the present moment almost, mm. if that makes sense. Like you're kind of drifting out of the present. And the present moments where the greatest creations happen. Right. That's, that's what I've noticed for myself. Like, and yeah, when you're in the present, when your mind's in the present and you're not dwelling or thinking too hard about the future, you're not dwelling and thinking too hard about the past. Like that's where I feel like the most energy is, is in the present moment. And for whatever reason, it just feels like these social media apps just like, take you into the world of like i'm not doing enough i'm not enough i'm not i don't know what that is right but it's there it's definitely there it's talked about it's you know it's a thing it seems like so yeah and there's like no way to be 
present or like the the what you're consuming on Instagram isn't in the present moment because it no. was filmed from some time, right? Like, like you're, I mean, I guess I guess sure you can probably find a way to be present when you're on Instagram for sure. But it's really, really hard. And if you're not, if you haven't achieved that godlike power, then the moment you log in, your brain flips a switch and it's like, all right, time to just process. Yeah. What am I seeing? What is it telling me? Just thinking, right? Like yeah. about whatever. Yeah. I don't know. It's like it, it, most cases, it's a fake world. It just, it is. You're only seeing like, you know. Most people are only showing you like the best part of their day, a good part of their day, a good part of their workout, right. a good part of like, oh, this is my success story and like blah, 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 blah. But it's like you don't see everything else that goes into it. And it's like you see a video of somebody on the beach and they're super happy and stuff. But when they posted it, they were probably super depressed and not on the beach anymore. And, like you know, it's just like it's kind of a weird it's it's it is a weird thing. It's like. It's people's past in your present moment. It's right. like people's happenings in your present moment. And you're, you have to be very strong in the idea that you are not comparing yourself. And that's kind of what right. Instagram's really, really good at challenging is like your ability to like not compare yourself to others. Right. And the death of any dream, the death of any goal, the death of any inspiration is like comparing yourself to others. Right. And that's where I feel like that whole world like challenges that and exactly that. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at that. I totally compare myself and it's I, hard. I try not to when you go on there, but like you said, you're seeing this like fantasy version of people's lives and yeah, like, can you, are you any good at it? Or do you, like, do you fall into that trap of comparing yourself? 100%. That's why I'm having this conversation right now is because <laughs> this is stuff I've like literally figured out. Like I never, I never got into the social media stuff until, until I started to get into like the breath work and until I went through like my health care and people started saying, Hey, we would love to see, you know, more of what you're doing. And then I learned about Instagram. And that was in 2019. And once I got into Instagram, I noticed my like, my headspace was different. Like I just noticed mm. it. I noticed that, oh, wow, I'm like thinking about making posts. I'm like, think like my brain never thought in that way. Like, oh, this would be cool for Instagram. This would be, you know, and then then you start to get into like, oh, this worked. Well, this didn't work. And then you get into the like, oh, now you're looking at other people. But where it really gets wild is, is when you follow people who, not just your friends, but it's more so when you follow people who, who have the same interests as you and do the same things as you. And I think that's where sometimes you have to be careful that you're not comparing to them you know like right it's like if you see somebody who's reached where you want to reach and you see them experiencing that you have to be very careful to not compare yourself to that person because chances are you haven't been where that person's been you haven't had to go through what they've went through and you have to take a look at yourself too and say that like well what if that person had like 20 legs up on me to get to that place like you know like I'll still get there if I stay focused, 
but my road's going to be different and I'm going to be a different person there. And the way I experience getting there is going to be completely different. And yeah, comparison is just like, sometimes that can kill your dreams. I mean, it, it, it will, if right. you compare yourself to others, like, and if you think back to like when you were making BMX edits every once a month or once a week or whatever, and other people were doing the same, you still have that same possibility to compare yourself to your idols or to whoever, but it's only once a week or it's yeah. only once a month. Right. So yeah. and like maybe it's, but that's part of it is it's healthier when it's just like every once in a while, yeah. as opposed to just every day being like comparing yeah. yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, sometimes it can be, if you're not careful with that thing, it's not even just every day. It's like all day, every day. It's like every chance you get a break. It's like, I've met some individuals who every single time they get a chance, they're on their Instagram or they're right. on that. And it's like, Whoa, dude, you know, like you're, you're just in other people's reality now almost it's a, it's an interesting thing where do you have do you ever think about where like so we we just talked about the progression in like the past 10 years of mm -hmm. like media like content and production if you think about like 10 years from now like you know do you have any any idea like what how it might change or like well i think we're about to see a lot of change just with ai coming into play I mean, this year, they're releasing a lot of AIs really hitting the market. It's really hitting, and it almost seems like you don't have to do anything anymore. Like, that's the craziest part about it. You just ask AI to generate a clip for you, and it will. And right. that's the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen. Which I think is, I think it's, on one hand, it's like, oh, that's lame. AI can do anything. But then you look a little deeper and you realize, oh, no, AI can only repeat things that it's seen before. It can't come up with new ideas, at least right now, very well. Yeah. So then it's like it's almost it, in that sense, it can be used as a tool to ask yourself, what can AI not do? OK, I better be doing I better be doing something that AI can't do. If AI can do whatever I'm doing, then I need to find a new job or. New, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Which, yeah, <laughs> might be a lot of things, honestly. But yeah, not saying it's a good thing or not saying it's a bad thing. I just think that's going to be. I think it's going to be challenging to be an artistic person in the future is what I kind of think. I think it'll be it's going to pose a whole new set of challenges. I think being artistic and what you are artistic with might change, especially if you're trying to have financial gain. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting to see. I think I do think it's really wild that, yeah, we can we can ask the Internet. I, I saw something the other day where it was like a beautiful like it was an awesome little edit. And then it, the whole thing was AI generated, the right. entire thing, the entire <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow, that is awesome. But that's kind of wild at right. the same time, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what that means. I don't really know what it will be. But I do know I think the next 10 years will be interesting. Yeah, right. good or bad. I think it'll be interesting. I think I just think it's hard to predict right now. But I do think that that's like where. I think that's going to be like the big change in the next 10 years is like, how is AI going to affect the whole course of, of art and creativity and um, being, truly just seeing genuinely good stuff, like genuinely new and things like that. But I don't know about it in a sense of 
talking about it from like the end of the world or the end of all of those things i just know it'll be really interesting when you can just like i don't know some of the stuff i've seen i'm just blown away by it i'm blown away by i'm blown away by you can make i saw some gentleman the other day make a rap a rap song like laid all the lyrics out put the lyrics into a microphone and then asked ai to like do it in kanye's voice right and <laughs> it sounded exactly like it sounded exactly like it so like to me i'm like whoa wow what that's gonna hold in store i have no idea and as far as like creativity and things like that i think we're about to just see a whole new world of creativity and a whole new world of of things it's all it's like in my mind it's hard to predict I, I think one thing that comes to mind for me is it's going to reset our values system because right now, at least in this country, especially we value material things so much or like we value like content production, for example, in this context that we're talking about. But then once AI can make can create content that you could create, then the content is no longer the important thing. And it's the experience that you have going along with it, or the experience that you have interacting with other people making that so maybe it'll kick us back into like, valuing changing our values from material things more so to like the pr experiencing the present which that would that would be my hopefully i can put that twist on my experience i it. hope so <laughs> i really do hope so i mean that i mean to get anybody back into the present moment and appreciating the quote-unquote little things in life i don't know that's a beautiful thing in my opinion but yeah i think wherever content's headed I just kind of think, yeah, I think content's going to change. I don't know if it'll change, but it'll definitely be interesting to see see what happens. I just think we're in the asking that question. I think we're in like a new era and we're kind of at the we're kind of at the bottom of the steps of where everything's going to head just with like the way technology's being introduced right now, what technology's being introduced and how it's going to have an effect on how it's going to have an effect i have no idea but it's definitely going to have an effect that's for sure so so what what got you into kayaking after bmx oh that's a good question so after bmx i took a little break i kind of got caught up in the world of partying around like 20 years old i got caught up into partying so that's where obsession addiction and all of that kind of stuff can have a really negative effect so i kind of became obsessed with like the party life partying all that stuff and that kind of like hit ahead when i was like 21 or 22 and i was like all right i lived in michigan my life was just kind of on repeat partying every weekend going to work wasn't riding my bike as much so i was like all right i'm gonna go to san diego and i'm going to continue riding my bike i'm going to get away from partying and i'm just going to start going to school and when i was the first day i was there i met my now wife and we started hanging out we had a lot in common and about six months into our relationship she's like i'm going to the kern river which is just north of la and i'm going to raft guide i've done this before it's awesome you should come with me all right so i went i went through this guide school thing and then i got introduced to the river um i raft guided for an entire summer it was amazing um i never wanted to pick up any alcohol i never wanted to do any drugs i never wanted to do anything it felt like 
oh, I'm giving myself something else to do. Like I had no desire to do that stuff. And in the world of the river world and river people, like alcohol and partying is actually like a pretty, can be a pretty big thing. Not for everybody, sure. but for a lot of people, it's like, you know, there's a, there's an adrenaline aspect to it. But about a year after that, I got introduced to whitewater kayaking and from there it was just, it was almost like bmx for me but just with a river like it felt like the same except it was kind of more of it was more of a different animal different different beast different and a whole new set of skills to learn um i mean there's a ton of skills that you need to know about being in the wilderness but also like being doing extreme things in the wilderness you need to have your head on your shoulders with that um understanding how to read water and what water's doing is like an art that i never knew existed i never knew what it was and even when i first got introduced to it i didn't understand it and then after a while it's like whoa like like understanding what water's doing is like it's just it's like second nature to me now like when i see a river now i guarantee you if a bunch of people haven't seen a river we're not looking at it the same at all and so that was a really special thing. Um, Isn't it cool to just get blown away by something new? Yeah. And just like, like have your world expanded and be like, whoa, there's, you can read water and you can, you can push yourself to this gnarly edge of danger, but be in control. And exactly. Like yeah. And like, that's, that's kind of the thing that I found to be amazing with whitewater was the more I understood it, the safer I was, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I was safe. It just meant that I was safer. Right. And it's, it's a wild thing. Honestly, it's like something still to this day that blows my mind, like seeing where I grew up, how I grew up, never hearing about this, moving to California in pursuit of something else. And then like literally my life took a 180 degrees direction. Like, and how quickly did you start getting extreme in kayaking, like risking your life? I mean, obviously you risk your life anytime you get on the river, but like, you know, mm, there's, there's levels and it sounds like you took it sure. eventually to a pretty extreme level. Yeah. It's an extreme level. You're for sure risking your life. Um, it was right away. I mean, it was right away. I wouldn't say that I was like looking at it from the lens of um, risking my life per se, but yeah, I mean, I would say the first year I started kayaking, it was like pretty just obsessed with it. How do I get on the biggest rivers was like kind of like the first circle of people I was in. Like, you know, like rivers are classified from class one to class six. And class one is moving water and class six is like, um, unrunnable white water right. and then everything in between. So if you're really into kayaking and you're a connoisseur of kayaking, chances are you love class five white water. And what that means to most people is there's like a level of death and risk that's present. But if you're really into it, like that's where all the launch pads are at. That's where you're going to get air. That's where you're going to disappear into river future features and come up downstream. That's where there's like a high intense problem solving 
things that are happening like in the moment that that's like the type of that's like what i think of when i think of class five whitewater is like yeah there's bigger features and you're gonna you're gonna experience like you're going to experience like crazy feelings in those, but it's almost like the same as like when you're, if you're into snowboarding and you like, like jumping off of cliffs and things like that. And you you get those, like that air time, you get the, you get those feelings of like, yeah, your body's like doing crazy things. That's kind of like where all that happens is like in the class four, class five whitewater. Like there's, there's big features and you can launch off of those features and you can connect these features. And, you know, there's certain rivers like, you know, the little white salmon, which is like close to us from where we're at right now. That's like, I would say that's like the pipeline of whitewater kayaking. Like surfers have their pipeline in Hawaii. Well, the little Mm. white salmon is like our pipeline. And Mm. it's just like, it's this, just continuous just almost like a skate park for like your your kayak like there's just so much things to get air off of so many little waterfalls so many different things so that's kind of what you're looking for there and you you practice all these skills and you get all these skills like memorized by your body and your mind so they're like in your subconscious mind and then you're able to like go and have fun on things like that and like Mm -hmm. the risk is still there but you've you've leveled that out by your skills and your awareness and like understanding what to look for understanding how to act understanding how to be and yeah I think hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, part of where my question comes from is like I've dabbled with kayaking like a very small amount, but it's terrifying for sure. Like it is the power of a river and just water in general. It's just so different than air. It is. Yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, like and and I don't know. I mean, it's you can. It's like, why do we want to push it to these edges? Like we all, or a lot of us want to, it's kind of human nature, but it's just interesting that we, that we like to go so deep into the unknown, not for food, not for a roof, not for, not even for friends. It's just like for our own, it's like a a quest of adventure of, of the unknown. I think for, cause for most of us, we've, we've got our food taken care of. We've got our roof taken care of. And I think for some of us, we would have been those hunters in the, in the tribe. And we would have been the ones like going out to seek the food or to seek the new destination where we need to move. And we put our mind in the, from the point A to the point B of like where I imagine being a hunter back in the day, you had to, you had to you probably had the same level of focus and awareness for where you were at as when you put yourself in these dangerous situations. Like when I'm on the river, I'm very aware. I'm very aware of what's downstream. And if I have friends with me, I'm very aware of what's going on upstream. And yet you're very aware. And I think, I think part of that is, yeah, I think part of it is because we have all these other things taken care of and we need to like feed that, that innate part in us that's just like yeah we're like fear is present life and death is present you know the unknown is present basically i imagine when you go when you were probably in a tribe a long time ago 
and you're going to hunt, you're living in the unknown. You don't know how long you're going to be out for. You don't know how long you're not going to have food. You probably have to make really good decisions because you can't get hurt. Um, if you get hurt, you're out in the middle of nowhere. Your tribe depends on you. Your people depend on you to bring back food and you need to figure out food for yourself. So you have energy. I imagine it's probably fulfilling the fact that we don't have to do that stuff anymore. And it's very, it is very interesting to me. It's very interesting to me that why we do these things. And I will say, I think certain people are called to the river, just like I think certain people are called to other things. Like for instance, like for me, you know, I've, I've tried rock climbing. I've gone rock climbing. I don't like it. It's, it's like boring to me. It's like, I, it's like, why, why do I want to do that just to like get up there? Yeah. It doesn't it, look fun. It it doesn't, but I'm not going to say that it's not awesome. It's not sure. like I love watching, you know, somebody make like a route look amazingly easy. Like I find that to be beautiful, but when I'm in it, I'm just like, dude, this is boring. Like I, I don't like it. And then, you know, that same person or not even just as boring. Like I remember being on a wall once and being like, this is crazy. Like, this is nuts. Like, this is, like, this is insane. Like, I, like this is, this is stupid. Right. Like, this is like, I'm going to get hurt doing this or right. killed. And it's like, you put that amazing rock climber on the river and then you hear the same thing. Like, this is stupid. Like, right. what am I doing here? This is so dangerous. And I just think, yeah, certain people's souls get fed by the river, you know, and I didn't expect it, but my soul was fed by it for quite a long time. And I, I imagine... I imagine that's a huge part of it too, like what your soul's called to and stuff like that. And I mean, whitewater is definitely a very interesting world though. It is. It's like, it's very, things happen very fast. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, when something does happen, it escalates very quickly, very, very quickly. River, the river is not saying that the ocean doesn't have its own dangers, but a lot of times in the ocean, things are very timed out. Right. So like the waves are going to pass, things are going to pass. Not saying that long hold downs don't happen, but like when you're in the river, it's, it's moving, but things are also stopping and staying in place. Right. You're always next to the shore. Yeah, kind of in a way, but even more so there's features where there's features that look like a wave to the, to the normal human eye, but that's actually water. That's just staying there and right. staying in one place. So like, if you get stuck in those places, you don't know how long you're going to be in that situation before you move down. Whereas like my experience for instance with surfing, even though I haven't, I'm not like a big wave surfer. I haven't experienced anything like that, but there's like a point in time where you're probably going to reach the surface as right. long as you're not like shoved under something or in something. And yeah, I've always found that to be kind of the more wild part about the river. The river's like crazy in a certain sense. Like it's it's a place where you want to be you want to be in your boat and you want to be in control. Have you had some gnarly hold downs in in the river where I personally have had a few. I haven't had there was one time where I thought it was it. I I was on this run that I was paddling quite often in um northern California. By far not the craziest run, but there's like some, there's a couple of bigger rapids and one day the water was kind of up and I was trying to do like some, I guess you could call it like a fancy like move, like kind of, we call it like catching eddies and that's where water kind of like stops behind rocks and goes back upstream. 
So those are kind of like your stop and go points. And I was kind of playing around with those. And when I pulled out, I was in the wrong spot. I didn't have the right angle and I got stuck in this pocket. And it's basically like water pouring over like a 12 foot ledge and it creates like a pocket and water that's going downstream is passing. And then you're stuck in this recycling area and the water also went under a wall. So I remember like fighting in this thing, trying to get out of, trying to get out while I was in my boat and I got no air, I got no oxygen during that. And then I had to pull my skirt and then I remember going in, like coming up and just my eyes were out. And I couldn't get any air, you know, and then you're like going no. back down. And I remember I did that like a third time and I was like, all right, well, this is getting crazy. And then I got shoved under a wall. I was like, oh my, okay, well, so then from there, it's just like, all you can do is relax and chill. And like, if you can get your, try and figure out how to push off of the wall. I ended up going really deep. And I came out and I was right above another rapid and my friend got me out. And that was probably one of the worst experiences I personally had had as far as myself. But unfortunately, I have been on the river and I have had a couple of friends pass away with me like on the river. So I've also seen that. I've also seen like the I've seen the mistakes get made. I've seen where, you know, even if you've got your friends there to help you you know, the river's more powerful. And on that day, like we weren't on, you know, unfortunately on those two days, we weren't able to, you know, we knew things, we knew things were big. We knew things were happening. We knew, we knew those things you are taking a risk, but right. know, things happen and that's the way it is. And, you know, fortunately that doesn't happen all the time, but unfortunately it, it does happen and it is a product of it. So you know, I've always, I've, I've always, you know, outside of like my first year of kayaking, I was pretty lucky to fall into a circle of really, really good paddlers. And some would say they were kind of like the better in the sport at that time, or like I was kind of connected to that. And I've always been that type of a person where I look up to like, not who's like the best and who's the most looked at, but like, who's the best with the most skills and like, how do like, what can I learn from them? So I'm always looking for that. And you know, I got lucky to be around those people and, you know, they were always like, take it slow, develop these skills. It wasn't a rush, right. you know, and, you, and then you're like, you're hearing it from the best, you know, when you, when you hear that from the best, it's like, well, they know a thing or two, you know, they, they obviously know a thing or two. They've, they've come at it a certain way. They've also had mistakes. They've also had things happen in their, you know, so like learn from them, learn from what's going on, like what, you know, what they're saying. So you know, I always kept things within my ability range. Like usually I very rarely would step out of my ability range and like push from that range. Like that was always like a special event. Everything had to be lined up for me. But yeah, I think, yeah. And just on those days, it's like, well, even if you are within your ability, things can still happen and things can still, you know, go down. So I've always been pretty humbled by that, but yeah. The, those experiences, I would say more of the worst experiences that I've had on the river were experiencing other people's, you know, their, what, what they went through. Right. So, yeah, which, you know, that's a whole nother like world too, you know, that's a whole nother like, 
head things head space to open up and go into and yeah it's pretty wild honestly right because it's there's no bounds on what you can on your compassion for someone else yeah or what you can imagine that they're going through or their family's going through yeah right when it's about when you're the one experiencing it it can get dark but you also know the bounds on like what you're actually experiencing yeah exactly it's a wild thing how did how did the community respond when when those friends passed away um when i was in those situations it was a very interesting one um i would say the direct community that i was in um they were very society has a very society can have a very interesting outlook on death and sometimes we want to act like it didn't happen or things you know didn't occur and i would say in that part of the community that's how it was looked at when i was in that circle of friends and people um and in both instances i was like an outsider in the group actually um sure so you know my words the way i spoke you know it all didn't really matter um mm. but as the whitewater community as a whole i mean it breaks people's hearts it you know it it rightfully makes people question like am i doing this for the love of it or am i doing this for the instagram post right um you know you can tell that that people go through that and i mean as a community yeah it it tears us up for so many reasons and i would say i would say the whitewater community is like beyond a beautiful community of people um I feel grateful to be a part of that community for so many different reasons. Um, and part of it is just how they handle life and death and on the river. I mean, life and death is always present and it's, you know, fortunately, but unfortunately it's, it's a part of, you know, that sport, that hobby, that art form. And it's a horrible thing to watch or to have a friend pass away on the river. But at the same time, you don't get to choose how you die in this life. It just happens. And if you're doing what you love every single day, chances are you might die doing what you love. And I think there's like beauty to be held in that, honestly for me personally absolutely and i i do think that the whitewater community i mean everybody handles it different you know you know there's so many different there's so many people in the community but i would say as a whole it's just always like you know there's a celebration there's a memorial there's you know there's time to be sad and you've got your friends that are gonna you know they're gonna mourn in their own way and some of some of them means you know they might take to drinking or they might not kayak for a while and then you've got other friends that are going to hold up the other side of the celebration in the morning and they're the ones that are going to go out and send it and live it up and they're going to support the friends that are down and out and you know like hey you know you might not be kayaking class five for a minute you might not be pushing it for a minute but you know the the river the river has a place for everybody you know there's like you can float down the river and be relaxed or you can push your limits in their space in between too. So I've always found it to be a very, very, very supporting community and a very like loving and uplifting and just an understanding that, you know, tomorrow's not promised whether you're kayaking or not. 
type of a thing. Right. So like live it up and appreciate each other and and lift each other up and try and help each other. That's kind of how I've taken taken that and it's a it's a special thing. So yeah. It, it's like it's almost more dangerous. I mean it is, I would argue more dangerous not to risk your life doing what you love. Very. Right? It's more dangerous to sit at home all day on the couch and risk never living. Yeah. I mean you're you're putting yourself even at more risk just sitting on the couch not doing anything. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's wild, man. Number one killer is heart disease. Right. That's how it happens right there. Yeah. You know? So it's like you're always taking a risk. You're always taking a risk. I mean, where I I think life is a big risk. I mean, when you're a part of it, whether you like it or not, you know, we're just, we're here, we're a part of it. So. Right. To your point, if you're sitting on the couch, it's a risk. If yeah. you go out and go kayaking, it's a risk. Like it's just, a, it's just choosing the risk. Exactly. You, you think you're safer, but you're not safe. You know, you're not safe. You may be like safe in the very present moment, but in the end, I, I'm, you know, fortunately I've had the, I've had the pleasure of, I've had the pleasure of seeing my life almost play out completely and it's put into perspective just like what for me what this like journey is and what this journey's about and I feel like yeah you know you're you're here to experience you're here to do things and like there is no like getting out of this alive like there right. isn't there's no getting out of it alive and like the fact if you if you think you can control what's happening to you that's it's not happening. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. You're not you're not like keeping yourself safe. You're not keeping yourself alive longer by like avoiding things. You know, in the end that's going to weigh on you in a way that you you don't even know yet. And one day we're all we're all going to face what's coming to us and I in no way shape or form think it's a bad thing. But we're all going to face it. And if we spend our lives like dwelling and hiding and running from it, well, you're not going to be prepared when it comes. And that's part of what I think life is about is preparing yourself for what's to come. And and how you prepare yourself is becoming as content as you can with the present moment. That's that's what I feel like. You know, do you remind yourself of death daily or weekly or do you intentionally do it or is it just instilled in you or? I think now it's definitely instilled in me. Um, yeah, I do. I try to. I mean, I I think I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to understand like, yeah, this can be it, you know, right now, like right now this could be it. I mean, and just just speaking on heart disease, I mean, it's like, you know, the number one symptom of, you know, heart disease is sudden death. So like that's, you know, like you know, we have this miracle going on inside of us. Like our hearts are beating without us telling it. We're, we're, our blood's flowing through our body. Oxygen's being absorbed. You know, there's like this, like this rhythm of things that's happening. And if there's one glitch in that, it, it can just be over, you know? And I remember I had a friend in high school who one day, you know, was at dinner with his dad and his dad had a brain aneurysm at dinner and died. You know, it wasn't expected. It wasn't on anything. And I remember, you know, it's like, whoa, like, whoa, you know, you're at dinner, you know, you're feeling good. Everything feels fine. And then that's it. So it's like, 
it can happen at any moment. Like, you know, from the moment you're born, that's literally the only thing that's guaranteed to you. Right. You know, and the fact that we make it out of being a child, the fact that we make it out of our adolescence into our teens, being an adult, you know, we're, we're super lucky, but there's kids like there's little babies in a cancer ward right now that might not make it past one. Sure. You know, but you meet those kids and they don't even have the same understanding of death as us. And I feel like some of them know it's there and it can happen, but yet they're, they're just in the present moment. They're, you know, materials don't mean anything. Things don't mean anything. It's just, you know, another person's smile. That's a miracle to see, you know, and things like that. So I think being aware that you are not going to live forever is very important. It's very important. I think that's, that's, it's, it's not in your favor to ignore that, in my opinion, for so many reasons. It's so easy to forget, though. For sure. It you is. Know? It is. And usually I feel like when I do forget that, I'm getting wrapped up in things that aren't important in right. the long run. Things right. that are like, uh, well, am I really getting wrapped up in what so-and-so said? Or am I really getting wrapped up because I've got finances, but not enough to like buy this thing. And like, how can, you know, it's like, it's good to put your mind to those things, but like to get wrapped up in it, to like have your entire present moment, possibly an entire day, you know, be unenjoyed because of certain things. It's, you know, and when you get back to the reality of it, like not only are you going to die someday, but it could happen right now. Like we have so many technological advances to just like wipe out the world. You have no idea whose fingertips are touching those things and to just live like, you know, or you have no idea who decided to like have a beer and get in the car at the same time as you did and, you know, line it up perfect with crossing the center line. And yeah, I mean, it's just like, you just don't know, you know, like you really don't, you just, that's part of life. Like it's just this wild it's this wild ride and we act like it's so permanent we act like it's so, I don't know. And part of, I think living a beautiful life and part of seeing the beauty of it is like, it's a one, it's all a once in a lifetime thing. Like even if something happens like three or four times, it's still all a once in a lifetime thing. It's right. kind of crazy. Right. I mean, it really is. It's, it's a wild thing. Like, yeah, I try, I definitely try to think about death, more than once but i try to like do it in like a healthy way like you right know, like, yeah yeah like keep it like keep it honest you know like keep me honest like am, am i doing this for the right am i doing these things for the right reason am i doing these things you know how am i living my life like all those things it's like it all kind of comes back to that like whoa I, yeah i've only got so much time I'm and it's like like it's so powerful on so many levels like if you get home from work and you're stressed out and then you remember that you could die at any moment. It's like, wait, I'm stressed about things that don't matter. Exactly. Right. And exactly. then, oh, I'm going to go spend my time like what does matter. And then you're motivated to go do something that you do care about. And all of a sudden you have energy again and boom, you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's, that's what I meant is, yeah, from a good point, like, like reminding yourself of the Im, impermanence of life and like, yeah, I, I think it's an invaluable tool. And yeah, like dwelling, you don't need to remember it every minute of every day. No, at some point, you got to just be in the moment and pretend like, because that's the that, I guess that's kind of what being in the moment is, on a certain degree, it's like, 
it's pretending or not pretending, but it's, it's, it's just being immersed and not life or death doesn't exist, right? You're just there. You're there for whatever's about to happen. You're not in the future thinking of something that hasn't happened yet, creating this, like, you're not, your mind isn't in the future creating a scenario that hasn't happened yet that you can't predict the outcomes of, but you're so sure of that. Or you're in your past, like living and dwelling on something where like 50% of your memories aren't even accurate. But if you're in the present moment, you're not thinking about any of that. You're just absorbing what's happening and you're experiencing it for what it really is. And I feel like when we're in the present moment, that's where, that's where creation, that's where love comes from. That's where art comes from is like in that present moment, like in, in the realm of like allowing things to like come to us rather than like forcing what we want something to look like in the future or dwelling in the past, if that makes sense. Right. So tell me a little bit about your trip down to Chile, because that sounds like a pretty once in a lifetime opportunity. It, it was a very awesome once in a lifetime opportunity. However, it wasn't really planned to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, I, Chile has ever since I started getting into whitewater, I'd heard about this river, the Fudalafu, and it's in the northern part of Patagonia. Um, and it's this river that I just heard so much about when I first got in, into whitewater. And it's big water, meaning it's if you're out on the river, it's a super wide river. There's a lot of water. A lot of the features are very like kind of like what you would find on the ocean, like really big waves, big hydraulics, big boils. But the thing is, is it's a fairly friendly river for the most part. Like it's for as big as it is, it's, it's a really, it's, it's pretty darn friendly. Um, I was drawn to it because of that, but I was also drawn to it because it's one river, and when you're there, that's all you can paddle is that one river. There's no internet. It's like a dirt road. You're about 40 minutes from town to get food, to get any type of like cell phone service, to get anything like that. You're, you know, you're, you're out there, you're away from it. And it just, it always, like from the time I started paddling, I, I wanted to go to that river, even when like my skills started to my skills started to be able to like tackle a lot harder rivers like to be there and be on that river was just it was always a dream and then it got to the point where i'd had a couple of friends buy property down there and i was like you know you just have intuition like yeah that's yeah i'm gonna i'm saving when i go down there i'm gonna buy i'm just gonna buy property when i'm down there unless like i absolutely don't like it so you know, it, it was a it was a trip that had been planned for like five years, but we had attempted to go every single year. But then like I got invited to go to Mexico and then I got invited to go to Ecuador and then I got invited to do like all these other trips. So it just always got put on the back burner. And then one year we finally were just like me and my wife were like, all right, we're, we're just going to make this happen. We're just we're going to make this trip happen. Like I, we're, we're not getting involved in any other plans. This is the year we're going to Chile. 
we're by ourselves, we're by ourselves, whatever. You know, if we don't have a group of friends to go with, cool, whatever. So finally, it was like, yeah, the winter of 2018, the spring of 2019, we were just like, all right, we're going. And we spent three months down there and the journey started in Santiago, buying a vehicle, um, getting a vehicle so you can travel around and then sell it at the end. So we did that and then yeah, we basically paddled from the rivers just outside of Santiago all the way down to northern Patagonia. And it was an incredible experience, a really incredible experience. There was a lot going on with me health wise during it, um, which was which is a whole wild thing to unpack. But speaking from the lens of just observing Chile and being a part of there and just like the state of being that I was in during that. I mean, it was just, it's a magical place down there. It's a, I don't even know how to describe it. it it's so wild how it almost lines up with like, it. what's really crazy is like when you start in Santiago and you start heading South, it's as if you're like at the border of Mexico and you're heading North right. and you just, it's, it's wild to experience that. And it's like, when we got to this town called Pucón, where there's really great creaking, which is like tighter rivers with not a lot of water. I mean, the volcanoes there, everything. And then you find out that it like basically sits on the same longitude and latitude as like here. Are these, are these considered creaking? Like yeah, the white salmon river? Yeah, creaking. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's insane how... Like similar and you just, they sit on polar opposites, you know, on the same spectrum, but it's like, and they're almost the same. They have like, it's like alternate universe almost. They have their differences. Right. But it is so wild to experience that. And the people down there were amazing. Um, Yeah, it was, it was an awesome place. I proposed to my now wife when I was down there. That was like the whole plan. So if it would have happened three years earlier, I would have proposed to her then, but the whole plan was like when we were on the ferry ride um out of portamont um down to like the gates of patagonia um yeah i proposed to her there so that happened and yeah i was also like battling at the time i didn't know it but i was also battling cancer while i was down there so that was like a huge part of my journey down there was like going through that so just i was very sick while i was down there but when I like look back at like what happened down there, it's kind of amazing. Like what humans like can do and what kind of energy humans can bring. And yeah, it was an incredible place. I mean, we looked at buying a property on the Fudo. We had, you know, plans to like keep returning there and they're still there, but yeah, I mean, that place was incredible. It was, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, you're out there. And one of the coolest things I found being in Fudo was there was a, there's like a board in the center of town that has all these pictures and photos. And it's all about when Fulafu got settled and you're looking at it and it looks like the 1800s here with like the horse and the buggies and super rustic black and white photos. And it's from like 1970. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's so wild. And it's like, Whoa, like people are still the word just living like that. And it's still kind of are, I mean, it was wild to just see how people live down there and you're so isolated and yeah, you're just isolated. You're isolated 
but there's also like a tight community too, you know, like people are looking sure. out for each other. You know, one guy raises all the lambs, the other guy cuts all the firewood, you know, kind of that type of a thing. So right. Real community. And yeah. Kind was, of tribal. Yeah. It was awesome to see that. I mean, the rivers were just, I mean, that's all I would do is just wake up and kayak. That's it. Just wake up, stretch morning routine and get on the river, come back fish the fishing down there was amazing i mean it was yeah that was amazing fishing was like incredible i don't even know how to explain that i'm not even like <laughs> a big fisherman but I mean, you're just catching trout all the time like pristine trout and meeting people who are like diehard fishermen i think i met some guy who's like a professional fly fisherman and just listening to him talk about this being his lifelong like dream and journey it's just like whoa right yeah i get it it's it's wild it's so wild it's mind-blowing it, it's interesting to me that you had this trip planned for three to five years or you had the idea of it in your mind for three to five years you knew you wanted to propose and you kind of got sidetracked by invitations to go on other trips with other people and then you finally made it happen and then you ended up getting sick while you were on this trip it's like, it, have you ever thought about it like that? Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It seems so. Uh, it's almost like, like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's nothing there, but it's just interesting that you like delay. It's almost like you were, you were being distracted by other people and pulled in different directions, and then, like, you finally listened to yourself and and did this thing that yeah. you'd been wanting to do. Yeah. And there's two ways to look at that. Cause I didn't just get sick on that trip. I was actually sick before the trip mm. and it was just beginning to peak while I was on that trip. So gotcha. the year leading up 2018, I, honestly, 2017 when I was in Ecuador is kind of when things started to feel like really weird for me. But 2018, I started getting like skin infections. Like there were like these little staph infections and they were all around my waistline and they were horrible. They're, I don't even know how to explain them. They'd be like quarter, half dollar sized, like skin infections that were beyond painful. They were super fatiguing. And I basically did not kayak for all of 2018 for like the majority of it. Like mm -hmm. I had moved into my buddy's house. He lives in mill a over here and the little white salmon river that I was talking about, kind of like the pipeline for whitewater kayaking is right there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, my buddy lives literally right there. So all we were planning on doing that winter was kayaking that river. If it wasn't working kayaking and, um, just didn't happen so sick all the time and like i'd have these like skin infections on my hips so like and you know i've got these crazy scars from them still to this day so like sitting in a kayak was not happening and let alone being fatigued unmotivated starting to get emotional and then by the time i got to chile that's when just like the sickness really started to like really started to unfold and it mm. was like confusing sickness and I'd, I'd like to say that before i went to chile i actually went to get blood work done and 
you know, I had gone to the hospital, I've been checked on, but it was always like, oh, you're fine. You're young, you're healthy, you're fine. This is just dirty gear. This is just this, like, don't worry, you're fine, you're fine. Even after requesting blood work, it, it was always like, you're fine, you're fine. Hmm. And you don't need that. But yeah, going down to Chile, I mean, I, it, I almost feel like I was supposed to go through it, though. Like seeing like where my life was at, where my life is at now and how I view it. Because like there was always this thing in the back of my head where I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like I, I never was chasing like a college degree. I never was chasing a stable job. I never was chasing like stable money. I never had the idea of like wanting to have a family. It was always like chasing rivers, chasing rivers, chasing rivers. And like when you're in that community of people, it's so supported. But when you like step out of that community and you're at like family events or you're meeting with past friends, you're meeting kind of new people and or even trying to get a job. Sometimes people are like, it seems like you don't do anything with your life, you know, and being told that you're not doing anything with your life is a pretty heavy thing to hear all the time. Like all the time, like you're kind of always like, I always mm. felt like I was always met with that. And then particularly that year, I felt like I was met with that a lot. And it's because I wasn't like able to kayak. So I'm like always sick. I've got this going on. I'm about to be turning 30 or like I was 30. I was, I was 30 turning 30 in the middle of all that. So it was just this thing of like, Oh, I guess this is how 30 feels like I'm kind of sick. I'm just low on energy, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then it's like, yeah. And then you go down to Chile and you're throwing up every day. You're sick to your stomach. You start to get moody. You're depressed. Your, your thoughts are super dark. And then you finish your trip up barely unable to walk. I could barely walk. And I had plans of going back down. So I left in March. I had plans to go down and meet with this lady to purchase her house and property from her in June. So like three months later and I'm leaving Chile. I can barely walk. It's like a 16 hour travel time. Might even been more than that. And I get home and like within a week later, I'm being like diagnosed with like cancer, like really bad. So it was just, it, it was wild, but it also was like, it was like a letter. It was like a message from God. Like you're not wasting your life. You're not and whatever God is to you, you know, like I'm not very spiritual. Or I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not very religious. Like I don't really, I don't latch on to a certain religion, but it was like a message from life itself. The essence of life. Like when you're following your heart, you're you are doing something with your life right you are like when you're living from your heart you are doing something with your life and like that's kind of that thing of like you know we're all gonna have to face that present moment one day that's like you know our death like we're all gonna have to face that so like preparing for that i feel like is always following your heart and living from your heart and doing what you desire the most, you know, as mm. long as, as long as you're a good person, I feel like being a good person is like a huge thing, but yeah, it's just very interesting. It's very interesting, you know, and I did look at it in an interesting way of like, wow. Yeah. I waited all this time and then I go down there and I'm, I was sick. I mean, I didn't do half of the rivers I wanted to do because I was sick. Like, you know, I, I experienced the food of the food, but there was rivers south of there that like, 
you know, I at least wanted to go check out. I at least wanted to get a taste of and like I'll come back, you know, the next season, the season after that and start checking all those things off of, you know, but, you know, those things didn't happen. But what's wild is, is like just going down there and having that experience. It was like, whoa, if I like die tomorrow, I, I, I like went after it, you know, like. That was my dream at that time, and I lived that dream. Right. I did it, you right. know. So it was interesting. So have you integrated that? Like, is that one of the differences in your uh, pers- that character from before cancer and after cancer? Now you don't feel like you're wasting your life, or you don't you don't question whether you're wasting your life. You follow your heart. I question if I w- I'm wasting my life like all the time, but I think that's a part of like the checking in, the checking in and making sure I am following my heart. Like, I feel like that's part of the checking in process. Like, you know, before I do anything, before I commit to anything, I, I like to go over like, okay, like, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of doing this? You know, sometimes I just go for it, but if there's like big moves that are about to be made or things are about to happen, or I'm really about to invest my time, I really do like, I question it now. Like, is this going to be good for me? Is this going to fulfill me? Like you could offer me a ton of money, but still it's like, what's the cost? Like, what's that going to come at? You know, like, cause like, you know, being on your deathbed, there isn't any amount of money that's gonna like buy you the fulfillment at that point in time like you know it may pay for some medical bills it may ease the people around you but it's not it's not going to ease your situation it's not going to ease the actual reality of life and like what's happening as if that makes sense and in that same light when you're older there's no amount of money that can buy you uh, uh youth not at all right you can't go back to 20 with 10 billion dollars no, not at all. If, if you know, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like I think I I don't. I'm, uh, it's a lady who said this quote. I'm pretty sure, but right now in this moment, you're the youngest you'll ever be, and you're the oldest you've ever been. Right. That's the present. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild to think about. It's it's crazy. So were you doing breath work? before like before you got diagnosed with cancer um so this is the interesting part so i think looking at the river as one of my grandmasters in life a teacher in life i learned about life and death on the river i learned how to start processing that in my psyche but also a huge part of running big whitewater for me and learning from other kayakers who were better than me was the ability to visualize seeing yourself accomplishing the rapid. And then when you go, you get in your boat and before you even peel off a shore to go run that rapid, bringing your heart rate down, getting into the zone, seeing everything happen. And a part of that would be like just getting in touch with your breath, like controlling your breathing. But I only looked at it from the perspective of kayaking. I didn't realize that that same thing could apply to the rest of life. Mm. So yes and no, I was aware of it. I had friends who were getting into Wim Hof, like lightly touching into that. But yeah, when I would say when I first got diagnosed with cancer, um, it was very, it was a very intense diagnosis. It was like the day 
the diagnosis the day they discovered it it was march 26th of 2019 at one in the morning they discovered the cancer finally um after a year of misdiagnosis and then two they didn't know what kind of cancer it was i was put on a a list to be seen in two weeks by a specialist a thyroid specialist and then they were going to also biopsy to see what kind of cancer I had. But the thing was, was when I was diagnosed, I I did not, I barely could walk into the hospital. Like I, I'm pretty sure I was wheelchaired in the hospital. I was definitely wheelchaired out. Um, but mentally going into the hospital, I thought I was sick from the way I was eating. I thought I might've had a parasite. I might've contracted something down there. I also thought I had injured my back kayaking, landing flat off of a waterfall. So my back was like frozen up. I could barely walk. I had to be hunched over. Um, so, you know, by the time I had left the hospital, they told me I had cancer. They told me there was tumors all over my abdomen. I had like 20 tumors on my liver. I had like six on my lungs. I had a baseball sized tumor in my kidney that was the pain in my back. And then I also had like a golf ball, like the size of three golf balls was like of tumors in my main arteries in my chest. Um, so by the time they told me that, I think mentally I was like, oh, it's not all these things. This is what it is. And I like mentally like succumbed to what was happening. So I remember being wheelchaired out. I remember them not being able to tell me what kind of cancer it was. I remember them telling me like, you know, you've got two in two weeks. We're going to biopsy those tumors and see what they are. I remember going home, looking at WebMD. If it's lung cancer, if it's liver cancer, where all these tumors were, you've and it's spread, which it obviously had spread, you've got like a 4% survival chance. And then it was like the morning of the 29th. So two days, three days later, um, I remember waking up to a phone call from my oncologist, my about to be oncologist in Portland. And she was like, you need to come into the hospital now, right this minute. You need to start doing chemotherapy now. You have stage 3C testicular cancer. There is no stage 4. And you, if you survive the chemo, we're going to get you cured. Um, but surviving the chemo was a huge thing. So right away, it was this like whirlwind of like... You know, one week ago, I just like, I just thought I was just so unhealthy. I thought I had a parasite. I had all these things. It's fixable. Boom. Now I'm like on my deathbed. Like now I'm like staring death right in the face. Like this is cr like, whoa. Like I was planning on going to California. I had like a photography job lined up down there. Um, kayak, safety kayaking job lined up, all that stuff. It's like really looking forward to it. Um, everything just changed. Didn't have a place to live here. I was house sitting. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I've never even been in a hospital for more than a day. And now I'm about to be in a hospital for five days in a row and ended up turning into 10 days because of how bad I was. And yeah, it was just, it was a wild experience. And in that experience, you're just living with you're just living under such intense circumstances and you've, I've never dealt with having to get so many IVs. I've never dealt with chemotherapy. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea really what cancer was. And through all that books were handed to me and 
information was handed to me from nutrition, from all this stuff. And somebody handed me this book from the Dalai Lama. And I remember reading it and it, it started to touch on like breathing and getting in touch with your breath. And I was like, whoa. And I started to think about like, well, when my heart rate's up and I'm freaking out and I know I want to run this rapid, but all I can think of is really negative thoughts. And I would go over in a corner and sit in my boat and I would just breathe and start to think good thoughts. And I'd go back and look at the rapid and I would get another honest like look at it. And I'd be like, no, I got this. There's no negative thoughts present. They didn't come back. My breathing got me to that point. It got me relaxed. It got my heart rate down. I started to go, oh, well, you know, the one thing that would freak me out the most was my chemo would be um, put into me through my veins, which is very unusual. Usually you have like a port or a pick. But since my chemo was so intense and I was so sick, ports and picks are prone to get infections. So if I got an infection, I was dead is what they told me. So everything would go through my veins and it was intense. It was like if my vein gave out, you, I would lose the limb. And your veins were like dying from the chemo. They would like turn into these hard balls. And then when they would have to put a new IV in, it would just be, it, it was just a, like my body was so sensitive and broken down from the chemo. Like an IV that used to just sort of make me cringe, like they freaked me out because they hurt. And sometimes they would get into a vein and it wasn't a good vein. So we got to find another vein and we got to find another vein and we got to do this. And it'd be this process. And every time they would be like, all right, well, we have to get you a new IV. It would just be this like, it would be this head trip. And I would start like, oh my God, my vein's going to give out. This is going to be the worst thing ever. It would just be this, I would just start creating this circumstance in my head. And then you know, this is all in the first week Then I read this book by the Dalai Lama and it didn't help me in that first week. The next week I went in 16 days later, same thing started to happen. And I remember after the third time on that, on that journey, I remember I started to breathe. I started to focus on my breath. And I remember this lady came in to give me an IV and she messed it up. And she went to go do another vein, but she forgot the IV. She left the IV in the other vein. It like ripped out of my vein. It turned into a mess and she started freaking out. And I remember I was so chill and relaxed and I just grabbed her shoulder and I said, Hey, it's all good. Like, I'm okay. I'm going to do my thing over here and you do your thing. Just pretend like I'm not even attached to this arm is like the basis of our conversation. And she just like took a moment and chilled out. And it was like, everything went good after that. It was wild. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And then the breath sort of just started to more and more come, present itself in this situation to like where I'm at now. But that was kind of like the first where it really got introduced and really started to like play was like in the hospital in those, in that part. So you had kind of experienced it on the river for yourself. Yeah. And then you read about it and you were like, oh. Yeah, I've done that. I know how to do that. Exactly. And then you just hopped in the driver's seat. Exactly. Used it when it counted. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, wild stuff. It's yeah. wild, but it's real. Yeah. It's like it's so real. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah, and then like, and then now and then it it carried you out of that and now you're just you're running with it, it still did. today, right? Where it really where it really took off for me though 
So like in the world of breath work, I like to look at that as like surface level breathing where you're like slowing your heart rate down. You're like maybe doing a, a full inhale and then extending your exhale. That's going to, that's going to like calm your nervous system down. That's going to like bring you into a parasympathetic state. So you're not in fight or flight, but like where the power of breath work really, really, really took off for me was like a couple of months later after chemo, after I started to heal, I had to have a surgery to remove the tumors that couldn't be removed from that didn't like, like the chemo didn't destroy and obliterate them. They were like, they were still like I had one. So basically I had a meeting with my surgeons and there was five surgeons and I expected them to open my entire abdomen up. And I was told by my oncologist, they're going to pluck these tumors out. It's going to be a big surgery. It's going to suck, but you're going to be okay. Well, upon meeting my surgeon, I remember it being like 104 degrees outside. It was like in the end of June, the beginning of July. The first thing the guy says to me, not even hello, not even whatever. He's like, so you're going to lose your kidney. And then he's like, you might lose a chunk of your lungs. Uh, you, you have a tumor that is literally wrapped up in your main arteries. We have no idea what that means, what's going to happen with that. If we're even going to be able to get them out, I meet with my liver surgeon. He's like, you have so many tumors on your liver. It went from like this, like being plucked out to like, you might not survive this surgery. And if you do survive this surgery, you're probably never going to be the same individual again. And like going back to physical activity and my obsessions in life, dude, that was like somebody just was like hanging me off of a building right there. Like I've never... I've never in my entire life been at a conversation like exactly like we're having right now. And you would look at me and you would think, oh, he's all there. And I blacked out for that entire conversation. My wife remembers that conversation. Mm. I, I just all I remember is like, you know, I was bald at the time from the chemo. I just remember like pinpricks on my brain. And then all of a sudden I was like my shirt was soaked in sweat and I, I blacked out. I didn't hear anything. And when I left... I had had two or three friends reach out to me about this gentleman, Wim Hof. He has a breathing practice, but he also has a practice with ice baths. And literally that day, when I walked out of the hospital, I just wanted to sit in cold water. I had never done it before. I don't know what it was. It could have been the 104 degree temperature, but all I wanted to do was sit in cold water. I'd never had that, that want, that need, that feeling ever before. And I think like a week before that, my friend, she had sent me a message like, you should check out Wim Hof. Like I do his stuff every day and I've heard he does stuff for, for like cancer patients. I'm like, okay. But like, so then after I got home, I like got my garden hose and I just sat under it and I felt so much better. And I went and I looked up Wim Hof and he didn't really have much to access at the time regarding his breathing. But there was stuff that I could pick from it. And, you know, when you're told a date, my surgery was September 13th, Friday, the 13th of September of 2019. That was the date that I was given. It's it was like being told, like, this is the date of your death. Right. You've got all this time to live. How are you going to live? Right. And for the most part. All I wanted to do was like curl up in a ball and lay in my bed. Every morning I'd wake up with a giant pit in my stomach. I'd want to throw up. And if I just closed my eyes 
if I just smoked more cannabis, I would just stay in my bed and I'd feel comfortable, but comfortable just basking in stress. Yeah, but it was all like the pit was from your your mental state, not from the. It was this. It was it was my psyche, right? My psyche, and so I think it was the very next day I woke up, and I did three rounds of Wim Hof breathing, and then I went. I took my garden hose and I sat under my garden hose, and it was just like. It was like I had a whole new outlook on like this two months it was like yes i should prepare in case this is it but i also need to prepare in case this is the cure like i need to like prepare myself like this is a huge surgery these surgeons are saying that this is a marathon surgery and like you've just gone through this this crazy what they say is like one of the hardest chemotherapy regimens a human can go through you just went through that so my body was like my body was destroyed my body was beat down but i was taking care of it with nutrition so i was still able to kayak decent whitewater like decent enough that it like it was exercise it took my mind it moved my body i had to hike out of the river i was going on hikes with my wife i was sitting outside i was doing all these things and like that was where I took the mental shift and not only changed my brain, but I changed my physiology as well. And I was able to like live out my days, but I was also able to like put max effort into my days. So I started to like look at my days as like, not only am I breathing, but like one of the first things they did to me was like, since the chemo was like so rough on your organs and on your entire body, I had to have a lung test to see if I could even be put under for eight to 12 hours. And like to be able to have machines keeping me breathing, like my lungs had to be strong again. So I started to look at it like, well, dude, you need to start training for a marathon, even though you're not literally running a marathon. Like you need to get your body like ready to be worked on and ready to go through a lot. So it was like it, it changed everything for me from the point of like not only dwelling, going from dwelling and being in stress and living in stress and anxiety to coming out of that on the other side of the breath work in the ice bath to like, I'm going to kayak today. I'm going to eat as much healthy food as I can today. And I'm going to get as much enjoyment and positivity out of this life that I can get because enjoyment and positivity brings about healing and healing vibes. And by the time I get to this surgery, I'm going to be in the best shape I've ever been in. And that's exactly what I did. I trained my body to be able to handle a, a marathon, quote unquote. Like mm. it wasn't a real marathon. I wasn't running marathon distances. I wasn't even running at all, but I was doing the workload of a marathon. I was keeping myself busy. I was doing things and I was staying off the couch as much as I possibly could. Although I did not overlook rest. Right. But it wasn't like I was like, like stress is stress is horrible. Stress like makes you think you need to sit. Like stress makes you think you need to chill. Stress makes you think you need to hide. New breath work changed everything for me. Ice baths changed everything for me. I mean, mm. not only did it help me prepare for this, but it also if that was my last day, if that surgery if I wasn't going to make it out or to go even further and say if if certain things happened that didn't happen, but made me so I wasn't the same again, dude, I had some of the most beautiful kayaking laps ever when I was like some of the most, some of, you know, it wasn't the hardest rivers, but it was like, 
I had never experienced flow state on that level. It was just like I, I was I was treating myself how I should have been treating myself my entire life is how that felt. And breath work helped with meditation. It helped with stress relief. It helped with building my lungs up again. It helped with like rebuilding my cells again. It helped with resetting my nervous system. And then the surgery happens and I survived the surgery and I'm in the ICU. I'm sitting with my father who I haven't seen in like 10 years. Maybe I've seen him a couple times. We don't have much of a relationship and everything seems to be good. I'm refusing my pain medication and there's reasons behind that. And I find out my epidural's not working. So I'm kind of just basking in pain and everything's good. We have this celebration because, you know, the first thing they want you to do after a surgery, big or little is move. They want you to get up and they wanted me to walk to a chair that was like literally the distance from me and you. So like five feet, like a table distance, you know? So I did that. We celebrated it. I get back in the bed. I don't really know what's going on. My entire body feels like a brick. It's just in pain. And all of a sudden I feel like my body flutter. And it's, it's a really weird feeling, but it feels like I know this feeling. And then all of a sudden I hear like a beep on the machines. And then all of a sudden it's like my vitals start going crazy. My body, like there's this wave that goes over my body. I don't feel anything anymore. I'm like completely numb. I can feel I, the only thing I can feel is my heart beat going out of my chest. And now the ICU room, ICU room is full of stress it's full of intensity it's full of nurses running around machines are coming in nurses are getting in my face they're talking to me what's going on what do you feel what's happening and all of a sudden i'm like oh my god so they they had to pull i had i had a tumor that grew 90 percent into my um my main artery that brings blood up from your legs so it's your inferior vena cava so they clipped it six inches of it and they put essentially a Chinese finger trap that holds it together. Well, I thought that blew and I thought I was bleeding out. So they were like, we were there. I heard like, we're going to get a, we're going to get a, uh, an operating room ready for them. The fuck the paddles came in, you know, like, I'm like, Oh, this is like a movie. And they're talking to me, but like right in the first couple of minutes of them talking to me, I just started breathing for whatever reason. I just started breathing. I just, just matching my breathing to the pace. And then all of a sudden my heart rate went from like a resting 48 and it shot up to 189. So like besides what was going on there, they were freaked out. I was going to have a stroke or my heart was just going to give out and I was done. And this is, I'm hearing all of this, but when I focused on my breathing, my heart rate went from 189 to 141. And then a nurse would talk to me, have you taken your pain medication? Do you take your pain? And I said, no. And I'm looking at him. And all of a sudden I heard somebody say, don't bother him while he's breathing. It's, it's putting his heart rate down. Just let him be like, whoa, well, dude, for two months I did breath work and I got an ice baths and part of ice baths is practicing breath work in real time. When you get in an ice bath, you have an adrenaline dump. Your heart rate, your, your body starts to go crazy. You start to get out of control. And part of it is breathing and taking control of your inner dialogue and what's going on inside of you. And what had happened was 
since I was not taking my pain medication and I was on such intense anesthesia, my nervous system and my nervous system was cut into my nervous system had shut off and had separated itself from my heart. And so what had happened was, was my nervous system kicked on my fight or flight and my heart recognized it and it started to freak out. Mm. That's exactly what happens when you get into an ice bath. Right. And intuitively, without even thinking about it, I just started breathing. Mm. And that was when I started to be like, oh, wow, this stuff, this is powerful. Like even nurses saw it. They were like, leave him alone. Let him do his breathing. Let him do his breathing. Even my dad said that. Stop talking to him. Come talk to us. We know everything type of a thing. Like, just talk to us. Don't talk to him. It's like that, you know, there's about four things where breathing, breath work, and ice baths all help the situation. And it was like, you know, and then it was like, now I had to physically heal. But then the hardest part was like, about a year later, is dealing with the psychology and the trauma of everything which is like, and so ice baths and breath work, like literally were keys to most of that success. And not only the success, but the way in which I got to live in such a, like, I lived, I was still enjoying life when right. all of that was happening. Like you could say I was living in hell with a smile. I was fine. I was okay. But it's because I was like, oh, these are only emotions inside of me. But this is what I can control. This is life. Your internal dialogue is your life. Like internally what you're thinking and what you're going through and like what you're feeling and experiencing, that is life. Right. Like I cannot control what is happening outside of me. But like I can control how I feel inside. And like to be able to say that like I was happy during most of that stuff or I was content or I was like I was enjoying the experience for what it was, that's huge to me. Like that's really huge. It's almost like when you read these stories about people who were in the Holocaust and somehow they found joy and somehow they found like contentment while living amongst such hell. It's like it's possible. It is possible. And like I think that's like I, I've only tapped so much into that. You know, I'm not like I'm not Buddha, I'm not some enlightened individual, but I've experienced forms of enlightenment. And I think we're all meant to experience that in our lifetime. And I feel like these tools, like breathwork and ice baths and getting in saunas or, you know, doing hard things like jujitsu or kayaking, they're all very like, they're all very relevant to like understanding like who you are as a person and what your light really is, if that makes sense. And yeah, it does make sense. And do you feel like you've now carried that with you to where you don't, you don't need a super stressful experience to make you use these tools to enjoy, enjoy life? No, I don't at all. I mean, I don't even know if I ever really needed a successful or a stressful experience to enjoy life. I think... I think breathwork's just giving me a tool how to like better be present in those experiences though. Like I think we're all experiencing a level of stress on a certain we're all experiencing stress on a certain level throughout our days. Like at base the human body wants to be in fight or flight. Like at base. And through breathing we can bring ourselves into a rest and digest state of being. 
like a more present state of being. And like, we have the ability to control our breath. Most pretty much we're probably the only animals in the world. There's no animals in the kingdom besides us who can control our breathing. Like we can tap into our breath. We can control how we breathe. We can manipulate the patterns of our breathing and it's all attached to our autonomic nervous system. And that's where fight or flight and rest and digest both stay. So when you consciously tap into that, you're able to like, you're either, you're able to either bring yourself into a rest and digest state, or you can bring yourself into the fight or flight state where you're focused, where you need focused. And like knowing that you can manipulate that with your breath, you know, maybe you're not going to be able to like override the situation that's going on out there, but how you handle that situation, well, that could be the difference between it being a traumatic situation or being a situation where you just take wisdom from it and you don't have to work through the trauma of it. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so earlier we were talking about doing what you follow in your heart. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're following your heart these days? Yes, I do. I do. And part of it is still, it's still fresh for me. I mean, I would say the last, this is going on my fourth year since cancer. So I'm like three years out of that surgery um, going on for, and you know, that was like the end, you know, I received my, you're cured like three months after that. So, but part of it has been, has been, you know, I would say for the last like couple years has been just unraveling that mess, that puzzle that mm. like what happened to me who am i now like what is right. this like you know like i i don't pursue whitewater kayaking anymore mm. and like a huge part of me that was one of the hardest things i ever had to get over and i had you know it took a long time for me to realize that my ego was wrapped up in that my identity was wrapped up in that everything was wrapped up in that everything and like you know part of it was when I would be kayaking and I would be on these rivers that I had been doing, you know, right before I, I got diagnosed, I had reached like my biggest goal in kayaking. Like I started paddling at a level that I had been trying to get to. And then I was getting ready to start a whole new set of goals, getting on a whole new level of rivers, start working towards that. And it just felt like I was stuck in the same place for a few years. It felt like I wasn't getting out of this. And I felt I could barely walk up a hill. I could barely go for a walk around our block. I could barely, like emotionally, I was messed up. And like when I would be kayaking, these bigger rapids that I had done so many times that used to be exciting for me, that excitement, that stress, like brought me back to the hospital. It triggered those emotions, triggered the thoughts that I had attached to those emotions. And I would be on the river, but in my head, I was in the hospital. On my head, I was thinking about, oh, I've got one kidney. I've got a Chinese finger trap holding my artery together. I'm you know, I can barely walk up and hit all of these things. And then now I'm like eating shit through a rapid and it's not fun for me. And it's like, and if I have to pull my skirt and I have to swim, I'm not going to be able to survive this swim because I'm so physically beat. I'm not the same person and I haven't truly put the work in that's really needed to be put in. Mm. So it was like 30 years of physical activity was completely wiped from my muscles. Right. Like that endurance that I had was gone after this surgery. It was mm. gone. 
and it also lined up with covid so literally after my first blood work after they're like you're good to go like you're good you're sir everything's good you know you can start moving again you can start doing these things again i had already been kayaking but now they're like you're good now like you're good we don't expect this to come back we don't you know like you're good boom lockdowns right and like physically okay i need to work through that but like dude when your mind is worn out when your mind is tired when your mind's been through so much trauma Dude, every step feels like you're going up a mountain, even if you're going downhill. Every it is it is the hardest place I've ever been was in the trauma of of that. Was in just so worn out. The hospital visits, the the like, you know, there was four times where I was where death was knocking at my door. There was all of that, you know, weighed so much like mentally on me. And like physically, if you looked at me, you would have at that time, you would have been like, well, you look fine. You look okay. You know, and that's what I was hearing a lot of from people. It's like, well, dude, you look good. You look okay. Well, why don't you want to go kayak this? Why don't you want to go put yourself? But dude, look at you. You're more jacked than I am. But it's like, that's where I started to see a gap in what's going on in our society is is we do not look at like mental health at all mm. at all and mm. like i'll admit i was the first to be ignorant to that kind of stuff but it's for real <clears throat> like stress trauma if you don't know how to handle that if you don't know how to deal with that it's it's so heavy it's so heavy and then if the littlest negative thing happens to you the littlest thing it's it's like the weight of the world and so to go through that, to be, to have a time when everybody was going through it because of the lockdowns and stuff like that, like everybody was tr like, I shouldn't say everybody, but a majority of people were traumatized just from that. You know, people are losing their jobs. People are on the streets. People don't know what to believe. People are politically torn. And here I am. I just want to talk to somebody. I just want to figure out what's going on. Like, why can't I walk up these hills right now? Is this how it's always going to be? Like, why can I barely lift this up? Like, is this how this is always going to be? Like, is the way i feel right now is this what i'm left with is this what's going on like why is every single time i'm stressed out i'm having a nervous breakdown like i'm it, it was it was something that i never have had to experience and thank god for breath work and ice baths because that's where everything began to change for me i i remember it was like the the fall of 2020 i just said you know what I'm going to, I'm going to toy with the idea of putting my kayak down again. But like, what I'm going to do is every single morning, first thing upon rising, I'm getting into the cold water. I'm mm. getting into the cold water. I didn't know what it was going to do for me. I just knew physically and mentally it was healthy. And what had happened to me was over time, getting into cold water and focusing your breath on it calming yourself down in that space, allowing yourself to observe the thoughts, I would get those same like traumatic experiences that would come up, but I was able to start changing the emotions around those experiences. And soon after about six months to a year, I started to like break free of attaching those experiences to emotions. Mm. And from what I've read now from people like uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza and other people when speaking about trauma and stuff like that, it's not about fixing the memory 
that you have about something. It's about fixing the emotion around that experience. Mm. And when you have, when you have a thought that has an emotion, when you have an experience that has an emotional charge attached to it, that's trauma. And when you can take away that emotional charge, now that's wisdom. Mm. Now you're taking information from that. Now I can sit here and I can talk about all these experiences from you. I can sit with a journaling piece of paper and I can write down, you know, some of the most intense things that like, they're so there. It's, it's like, if there's stories and things that had happened to me, like, like, like tools had to be removed from me when I wasn't, you know, like I had a kidney stint. I won't go into too much detail about it, but the way they removed it is a three foot camera. It goes in one way. It has to be pulled out another. And I was wide awake for it after like a crazy surgery and, you know, there with it. And I couldn't clench. I couldn't squeeze because I was fresh out of surgery. I could give myself a hernia. But my doctors and I decided that I was an intense enough individual that we're just going to do this in this room. We'll bring all the stuff here and then you'll be able to like be on your way and get out of the hospital. In order to avoid anesthesia again or yeah, something. Yeah, all that stuff. Right. And but those experiences, dude, they're so intense. And like to be able to like to be able to not have any emotions attached to those again when I think about it, where I can just look at it for what it is. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. This is just what I took from that. It's crazy. It's right. incredible. It's like you would think you'd need to be put under for something like that. Right. But like pain is like the deepest part of our brain. And if you can focus through pain, it only lasts for so long. It comes and goes just like everything else. And the way you learn how to react to pain, the way you learn to react to sad situ to situations, that's pretty much what life's about. That's what I've come to learn, you know? And like, we can manipulate these things through breath work, through ice bath, through sauna. They're all ways that we're like, we're toying with our nervous system. They do a bunch of other stuff, but like learning and understanding your nervous system, that's been one of the most important things I've ever learned because your nervous system is how you feel and experience life. Like when you touch stuff, that's, that's your nervous system sending that information. When you have an emotion, when you're stressed or when you're relaxed, that's your nervous system. Right. And you can manipulate that with your breath. The ice bath, it heals so much, but that's also a container where you get in there and you really understand how to make breath work and breath practice your own and how to do tricks and stuff to calm yourself down and focus yourself in the chaos. And like being able to focus in chaos and being able to stay calm in chaos is like the key to life because life is chaos. And I heard this quote, I don't know his name. I don't really, I wouldn't really say it's a quote, but there was this, um, Oh, what do you, there's this quantum physicist and he was speaking on, uh, chaos and his observation of chaos is that if you can, if you can sit still with chaos, it's always trying to show you the path of least resistance. Mm. That's his observation. And I honestly can say after observing what I've observed, I mean, the surgeries, everything that I went through, I just did it. I just went through it and I did it. But the crazy part is, is they always talk to me like I wanted to be going through this. So you want the surgery. You want the big surgery. Well, dude, if you start putting it on the table like that, no, no, I don't. 
I have to have this surgery, but now you're telling me I want it. So that means like, I don't need to have it. Well, if I don't have it, I'm not going to survive it, but I'm not going to survive cancer, but I'm also not going to die during the surgery. That's for sure. If I don't do the surgery. So like, there's just all these things, like you don't have to do the chemo. You don't, right. you don't have no to do that. Yeah. No, not at all. You, you don't, you don't have to drink your juice. You don't have to eat the meals that you need to have. But it's just one of those things where it's like, I sat still with those things and it showed me the way. And then like, now it's like, now I'm trying to be really conscious of that. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Like, I mean, I just like, I'm taking so much out of this conversation. And so it's just so cool to imagine how much you can help other people just every day with the stuff that you're doing like if it worked there it's gonna work in the rest of life that's yeah. like that's the thing that's the thing are people pretty receptive to the stuff that that you've learned that you share with them i believe so i believe you have to be <clears throat> i believe you have to be seeking like a better you i believe you need to like be on that path but you know like i'm really i out of everything I've took, you know, nutrition had a huge part in why I'm sitting here today. Like that was like one of the biggest moves, but nutrition is a weird world to be in. And I don't want to study too much about nutrition. I feel like nutrition is super personal, but the breath work and the ice baths, um, those things were two things that I feel like not everybody has to do, but everybody should at least try and experience. And for the most part, when it comes to breath work, I feel like every single human being on this planet, race, gender, whatever you are, you can benefit from a breathwork practice. Mm. And those two things, breathwork in particular, I've really gotten into facilitating group breathing practices, teaching people how to fix their breathing, and then using breathing as a tool. I feel like most people are blown away by how powerful breath work really is and how powerful being in touch with your breath is and at first it was really hard for me you know i've been studying this stuff you know on myself and then also studying it to teach others um it's all been about bettering myself but like teaching others has been like the last two years of my life like studying for that and practicing and i feel like when i first started it was really hard for me to have confidence in like what i'm teaching and what's happening but by like the third or fourth time, it's like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's clearly evident that people need this and some people come there just because, oh, they've seen their favorite influencer doing breath work. So they want to check it out. But then they were like, oh my gosh, like I haven't felt that relaxed in my entire life. I've never, like, I've, I've heard that so many times. And I've felt that though, like I've, I've experienced that personally, so I get it, but it's like, I feel like people are becoming more receptive to it, but I also feel like we're also in, in a place with life right now where people need that kind of stuff where like breath work is just another form of meditation, but I feel like, or there's parts of breath work, well, mostly all of it, but there's definitely certain parts of it that are like it it's it's meditation 
It, it is. And it's meditation, honestly, for a fast paced world. It's like so many people are like, they're too anxious. And like the way I view it, your body is your subconscious mind. Like you store all of your information in your body and in your genes. So like breath work fires up your subconscious mind. It like, it helps like reset it. It helps without even having to have like, I've never really had like a therapy session, dude. Like I've never really like sat down and like talked with somebody like, like, you know, this is what I went through with cancer and blah, 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 blah. And we've had to like go th map out this thing of what I'm saying and stuff like that. No, like breath work skips all of that. And it goes like right to the source and it just resets the source. It resets your subconscious mind. It resets your nervous system. It resets everything. And, you know, there's definitely cases of people who who have been through so much. It's not just going to fix it that easy, but this is an interesting thing. So my brother is in the military and he works a lot with psychology and he's at a college and he's around a lot of great minds in the psychology world. And he was in a, he was telling me about this conversation that he was in with these like great minds in that world. And they were saying a few years ago, they were telling everybody, you need to go talk to somebody. You need to go talk to somebody. You need to, you need to see a therapist. They're telling everybody that. Well, now particularly after the last two years with having lockdowns and stuff, mental health is at such like a, it's high right now. Like our suicide rates are up, drug overdoses are up, like people doing crazy stuff is up, all this stuff is up. And what they found is, is there's not enough help out there for people to go talk to. Mm. And then what they've even come to discover more is a lot of these people don't need to talk to anybody. They just need physical outlets. Well, like breath work is cardio it's you're you, it's literally a cardiovascular exercise and you're you're exercising your nervous system you're like you're replenishing all of your cells it's like it's this it's this all-around holistic medicine that we have in our own bodies that we can do with ourselves it's a practice that you can do you could literally do it right now and you'll you'll experience a whole world of changes but it's that thing where it's like, yeah, not everybody needs to go see a psychiatrist. Not everybody goes, needs to go see a therapist. Not everybody needs to talk it out. Like breath work literally can reset everything. I've seen it happen. It's happened with me. I see it happen with people all the time. People are like, whoa, like that's crazy. And you talk to them two weeks later, dude, that was like 20 years of therapy that just happened in like that one minute. Like I've, I've gotten over so much without even having to dig into it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it went back to the thing where when I first started trying to fix all these things, it was like, I was trying to fix the way I thought about what happened in the hospital. I was trying to fix the way I thought about everything. Mm. But what you're really, for me, what I think really needs to be fixed is, is your emotions around those things. Like, how are you, how are you emotionally attached to those things? And like, emotions are the language of the body and thoughts are the language of the mind. So like when you're when your nervous system and you start having these emotions and now your thoughts are attached to those emotions it's about changing that that loop right there so mm -hmm. now when i think about the hospital i only think about well, what lessons did i learn from that like that experience has already happened it's it's not going to happen again and if it does happen again it's not going to be the same happening it's not going to be the same thing like even if i get cancer again it's not going to be the same it's going to be completely different i'm a different person it's like, I'm totally different. So yeah, like seeing people talking to people, 
ex having people experience this there's people who are super closed off they think it's like woo woo but i'm not really like trying to like sell you anything i mean like i do breathwork things for free all the time and it's just because eventually there's going to be so many people that want it from me there's going to have to be a price tag attached to it it's like i'm trying to make it my livelihood but i'm also trying to figure out a way to make it so i can give it to people who can't afford that as well you know like everybody deserves it so it's just interesting it's like yeah the people are open to it but i find so many people who come to me super skeptical and by the end of it they're like what i like they came so super they came so skeptical they didn't really look deep into like what breathwork is and what breathwork can do and it just totally blows their mind it's like you know, some people are like, oh, you, you can experience like a DMT trip and you can see your chakras and like all this stuff. But it's like, yeah, that that's a that's a huge part of it. But also what happens is like you emotionally let go of things like you just do. It, it, it's like and you don't have to sit with a the therapist to talk about it session after session after session after session after session. It's like you come to me or you come to a, a good breathwork practitioner and a facilitator man you can have 20 years of therapy in like one hour it's crazy yeah i can attest to that it was like i've done a little bit i mean a fair bit of breath work and yoga over the years but when i did those two classes with you i mean for one it was super cool because you were like describing the different like parasympathetic and i don't know what else different types of like states that your body was in and your breathing and your mind and like so that was super cool but then just like the level of separation from mind and body that i experienced was like so it was it was it was just so much different than anything i'd seen before and yeah it was like after that i would just felt like felt like i was floating it was like you're just lightweight and like yeah, I can attest to it, but man. Dude, it's... that is what living in the present moment feels like. It's like you're floating. Mm. You're not attached to anything. And mm. that's like the beauty of breathwork. For me to sit here and say like, oh, I invented this. This is my style. This is my thing. It's like, like you said, you've done breathing through, through yoga and stuff like that. And breathwork has been around for thousands of years like people have been in touch with the breath there's been there's so many things with it and i feel like i'm so grateful because i'm a part of the evolution of that and i didn't come into this like wanting a job wanting a career path wanting anything no i wanted to heal i wanted to survive i wanted to get over and get through one of the darkest hours of my entire life and breathwork like helped me and now i'm realizing like my darkest hour may look different on paper but everybody's darkest hour feels the same in mm. a sense mm. like you know like when i was going through cancer i remember like since i was taking such good care of myself like you know i was drinking 120 ounces of raw juice every single day there was no sugar there was no process there was nothing that wasn't a whole food that was coming into my body my energy levels were insane and i remember i had the ability to sit and listen to people and you know i had some friends that would come over and they're just like you know i had one friend who was like you know he was in like a seven-year relationship and they, it was ending and I remember just being like, dude, like talk to me. And he was just like, man, like you're just going through so much, man. Like I can't just like put my problems on you. And I was like, dude, like 
it was like being in being the one who had cancer being the one who like yeah you could say that that's like the worst thing that somebody could possibly be going through one of them like literally you could say that and yeah it sucked it's horrible yeah it is probably the worst on paper but my problems were no greater than his problems because what i learned was stress is stress so like the stress of having to go to the hospital is literally the no stress of like having to go speak in front of a huge crowd Mm. it was literally the it was literally the no it was literally no different than the stress of having to go run a big rapid it was literally no different than the stress of having having like lost all 10 years of saved up finances like 10 years of like a financial goal like it literally and like losing all of that and all because of a lockdown like almost having to like sell all my things so i could afford to live in a house and hopefully not have to move out of that house like it's the same right like your body does not like your mind your brain your nervous system does not know the difference between what is happening out there and what is happening in here mm-hmm. it's all the same so like your girlfriend leaving you for seven years feels so doomsday just right. like mine does we're right. both feeling the same thing so for right. me to say like i can't if I have the energy to listen to you, I'm going to listen to you because it, it's like I, we have common ground right now more than you think. You know, I mean, we're all hurting. We all have so much more common ground than we think. Mm. We're just looking at it through stupid differences. Suffering is suffering. Right. And like, I think the moment we as humanity realize that suffering suffering, a lot, a lot can change for the better with that one. Mm. Wow. That, Yeah. I hope I hope that can bring us together because we need it for sure, dude, for sure. It's wild, man. It's wild stuff. Well, uh, I think we should wrap it up because we both have things to do. But that was that was wonderful, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, dude. Anytime, bro. Anytime. Thanks for having me out. I think think we have (laughs) we could have talked for hours. So I'll have to have you back on sometime. (laughs) Definitely. I'm into it. Um, where can people find your breathwork classes? Um, right now I'm in the midst of working on a website. So be on the lookout for that. Um, you can just find me on Instagram right now at all lowercase a Spillman S P I L L M A N. So a Spillman six, three at, or yeah, at a Spillman six, three. So just look me up there. I post everything there and soon I'll have a website and yeah, but right now I just kind of put everything out through there and word of mouth and all those things so don't be shy if you're interested hit me up yeah I def- check it out definitely so. recommend checking out his, his instagram page because i'm super inspired like every day the con the content you're putting out is like lifts me up picks me up and makes me like better so well, thank thanks, you sean i appreciate that so same